I don't know who you are, young lady, but you certainly know how to handle yourself well. Batman! Bat girl? Bat girl? Bat girl! Yes, bat girl. Biff Bam Pal. This is Batman Land. Our purpose here is quite serious. Each week we chat about the 1966 Batman TV show. We might as well get a few laughs out of it. We're discussing the episodes airing this week on SBS Vice Land. My name is Dan Barrett. I work on a website here at SBS called The Guide. This week I put out a saucer of milk as a lure and purring his way onto the microphone, it's Nick Bassine. Yeah, well, I'm super happy to um, have purred my way onto the microphone. Sorry, Nick, was that emasculating? Because um, as we all know, boys are dogs and cats are girls. Is that right? We all know that. Um, well, if Batman does anything, it subverts gender norms. Hmm. So I kind of like to mix it up. I like to, uh, I don't mind thinking of myself as a cat, like a big cat, like a like a tiger or a panther. Or no, not a panther. Well, could be a panther. Yes, I'd be. Like a jaguar. A minx. I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit of a minx. <laughs> Or lioness. Yeah. Or lion. Uh, we're getting, it's getting all very confusing now. Is lioness still an accepted term? Is it? I feel it should just be lion. Yeah, they're all lions. Yeah. Well, is actress an accepted term? I don't feel comfortable with actress as a term, but as we're both entertainment content creators, writers, some people experts. would call them. Experts. Gurus. Yeah. Masters in the field. Influencers. You have to talk about like the awards and they still refer to them as the actor and actress for the various breakdown. Yeah. But some people refer to themselves as just actors. Yeah. Some ladies. The ladies, are they're just actors. Well, I usually refer to a lady actor as an actor. Yeah, it's just an actor. Yeah. Just because it's a lady doesn't mean you have to add... Um, S. A little S on there. <laughs> That's weird. But yeah, I mean, it just seems like crazy old-fashioned language. Yeah. Yeah. So let's, let's make a stand here on Batman land. Lions, they're just lions. Yeah. Let yeah. the lions just be lions. Hmm. That should be the tagline for this podcast. Yeah. Anyway, let's maybe move on to less important news and discuss these two episodes of Batman that we're here to chat about. Oh, there's nothing more important than these episodes of Batman. Oh, look, tell me about they it. They run together so seamlessly as well. Oh, do they ever? We have two very interesting episodes here. We've got the first one, The Og Couple, which aired on December the 21st, 1967. Yeah, I don't get it. Why, why Og? Well, because the egg is the... Egg of Og? Oh, that they want to steal. Yeah, that's yeah, not the confusing. Egg of Og. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, it's called the Og Couple. Now, because we're here in 2018, you may be thinking, where does this fit into the Odd Couple chronology? Yeah, when was the Odd Couple? obviously it's a play on the Odd Couple. So this was a Broadway play that was very popular at the time, written by one Paul Simon. Neil Sorry, Simon. Neil Simon. I always <laughs> do that. Uh, Paul Simon wrote a different play. Yeah. I saw Paul Simon live once. Didn't play You Can Call Me Owl. Very upsetting. Oh, my God. Got all the other classics, though. Did he play so all the fun. Simon and Garfunkel stuff? Yeah, well, he was performing with Art Garfunkel. What, did, were you actually watching Simon and Garfunkel? Yeah, it was Simon and Garfunkel. Oh, all right. Yeah. They weren't doing two separate shows in the same event. <laughs> yeah, right. Although, based on their relationship, you I know, would love to have seen that. sounds like an amazing concert. I would love to have seen that. It was fantastic, except they didn't play You Can Call Me Owl. I don't care about Paul Simon's solo work. That's crazy. That? No, no, wait. Think about this. What would you rather, Paul Simon's solo work or Art Garfunkel's solo work? Oh, well. Because <clears throat> let me tell you, having been at that show, when they stopped the Simon and Garfunkel period of the show and then each took 15 minutes to play some of their own solo work, oh. I know which artist I'd prefer to hear more from. Yeah, sure. Well, Paul Simon's got the hits. I have no idea what. Oh, Bridge Over Troubled Water? Or is that That was a Simon and Garfunkel oh, right. track. I mean, sung by Art Garfunkel. 
I don't know what Art Garfunkel sings by himself. Have you ever said Art Garfunkel more times in a single Garf- setting? It's hard to say. Hard to say. <laughs> Look, it's rough. Anyway, it was a very popular <laughs> stage play at the time, before, uh, written by one Neil Simon. Yes. Not Paul Simon, as Not discussed. Paul Simon, as discussed. Written by Neil Simon. The, it was followed up by the movie, starring one Walter Matthau and Jack Lemmon. They were in the... Oh, maybe they weren't in the play. They, I don't, I'm not too sure if they were in the play, but okay. they started in the movie, obviously, and they came out in 1968. So we're in that magical time period of life where it was just a stage show. Oh, okay. Yeah. And then the TV series kicked off soon after that with uh, Jack Klugman and... Tony Randall. Tony Randall. <laughs> uh, have you watched the movie and the show? I've seen, I think, maybe the first half hour of the movie... I don't know why I haven't seen all of it. It was good. I don't know yeah, why they great. finished it. It's a very good movie. Uh, and I've seen, obviously, scattered episodes of The Odd Couple Show. I'm almost comfortable going out there and saying The Odd Couple TV Show maybe the best TV theme of all time. So I really like few, it. Can you hum a few bars? <laughs> no, I'm not doing oh, that. Oh, yes, yes. Okay. You got it? Okay. Yeah, now I got it. Yeah. Very good. Well done. It's, it's a good theme. Yeah. Hmm. But anyway, we're not here to discuss The Odd Couple. What do you mean? Well, because there's a little thing here called Batman. Oh. So, The Odd Couple, which did air on the 21st of December 1967, that was a long time ago. Sometime between then and now, I've watched the episode, but I don't remember what happened. Nick Bassine, can you please remind me and the listeners at home? Okay, so riding into town on a donkey, Egghead and Olga steal a sword and an egg from the Gotham City Museum. Silver Simitar for me, golden egg for you. Their master plan? To steal some caviar. Right, caviar, fish eggs. But Egghead is late because he's riding a donkey. My burrow is kind of slow. <laughs> and he takes Batgirl to Olga. Olga, my dear. Instead of finishing her off, Olga's goons tie her up and make her do some kind of dance. Batman and Robin save her for a change. They almost turned me into a human order. Batman says a bunch of sexist stuff, and Egghead and Olga are arrested off screen. What an episode. It was amazing. <laughs> there was a lot that happened. Some of it obviously happened off screen. Would have been nice to have seen the arrest. Mm. But um, but yeah. Now, obviously, a lot happened in that one episode. We'll be discussing the next episode, the funny feline felonies. But we'll do that in a little bit because there was just so much to unpack with this one episode first, Nick. Oh, my God. Where does one begin on this typically beautiful day in Gotham City? Why uh, does Egghead ride a, well, they call it a burrow. I don't know if that's a specific kind of donkey. Oh, look, I'm no donkey expert. You're not. I mean, I profess to be quite often, but... It's on your Twitter profile. <laughs> Very much so. Uh, why does he ride a donkey? Can you explain that to me? Look, you're, an, you're a comic books expert. Oh, well, I mean, as we all know, the egghead from the comic books. No, he's a character for the TV show. This has got nothing to do with the comics. He's not a character from the... I think he may have been incorporated into the comics at occasional points after the series, but he was created for the series. Right, okay. Yeah, it's mostly an excuse for Vincent Price to do a whole bunch of egg puns. Do you think the show ever reached the level of popularity where people like Vincent Price were calling in saying, I want to, I've got an idea for a bad guy. He's got two heads or he eats children. Yeah, I don't think that'd really fit internally with this program. But I'm sure that a whole bunch of celebrities did get in contact with the production office, but probably lower end celebrities. And it's hard to think of lower end celebrities than some of the guests we've had through on the series at this point. Or people that were celebrities 30 years prior. Mm. So you've probably got a bit of that going on. 
The thing with this episode, and we discussed this a couple of weeks ago on the program, this was actually written to be the second part of a three-part storyline. So we've already seen Olga and Egghead, but we saw what was essentially parts one and part three of that storyline. Yes. This is part two. So you can tell within the episode, there are two insert scenes which they've filmed to create the original story aspect to it so that they can actually construct this as a story in its own right. But this is supposed to operate within the three, which is why we've seen, I think, that clip of Egghead on the donkey, I think about four or five times now in the like five episode yeah, yeah. period here. <clears throat> when you think about that, it all makes a lot of sense because mm. there aren't as many twists and turns in this episode. It, things... It ha everything happens kind of linearly. It, it all kind of just marches on. It's not very complicated. It's not a three-act story, really. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And there's the scene with the older lady being walked across the street by the young Boy Scouts. And those two characters came up again in the third episode. And they were hard to really understand why they were there. And I don't think this episode made it that much clearer. Yeah, there aren't a lot of things that this episode made clear. Something I noticed in this episode... Uh, we're introduced to Stately Wayne Manor with both Bruce and Dick sitting in the uh, the parlor where the bat phone is and the bat poles and all that gear. Mm -hmm. Have you seen Stately Wayne Manor outside of that room for this entire season? I'm guessing that they've maybe gotten rid of the sets for the larger lounge mean? room. Like an exterior shot? No, no, because, you know, most scenes in the... Oh, the other rooms like the other in room, Wayne like, Manor. Yeah, because we never saw like the house broadly, but we used to see that other big lounge room area. Where that always be sitting there while Bruce would teach right. his lessons. That's right, his famous yeah. lessons. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's true. We haven't seen them in there. And it now also occurs to me, we've never been in Bruce Wayne's bedroom or his bathroom or anywhere else except for these two rooms in the Batcave. I know, and I think about the number of people in Gotham City who've been inside Bruce Wayne's bedroom. Yeah, and well. We haven't had that privilege. I mean, you definitely have the milk and cookie man running in there day and night, providing him with milk and cookies. I think that's Alfred. Is that not his role? Or is uh, yeah, he so he rich that he has a dedicated milk and cookie man? I think in the 60s, you had a milk and cookie man. Mm. Now, something else interesting from the 60s is the backwards political views of Queen Olga and the rest of the... What country is Olga from? Bessarovia. Bessarovia. Which is not in any way linked to Russia, even though it all sounds very Russian and... Uh, all the cultural touchstones are Russian. Mm. Uh, but we learn here that Olga won't marry Egghead without a dowry. Yeah, that's very old school. Mm. How many head of cattle do you think that Olga is worth? Oh, I, I, I'd pay... Sorry, uh, in, in 1967, like cattle prices. 20, 20 or 30. Yeah. She's a handsome woman. She's a queen. I'd go 40 to 50 head. I, I should point out, I don't really know what the value of... A dowry was back in the day. I would assume that in the 60s, nobody was giving anyone dowries. <laughs> I'd be very surprised. So I don't even know. Is that, was that a Russian thing? I don't understand. Well, who was, who was doing dowries? Was, well, it, was it popular in Russia? It was popular with the Bessarovians. 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 You are heartless, hairless man. I'm liking you more and more. Oh, and I, you, Olga. I, you. I'd be interested in finding out whether dowries do actually still exist because there are other old marriage traditions. So, for example... Arranged marriage. Arranged marriages. Like, they still yeah. exist in some cultures. So yes. maybe dowries do exist. So I don't really know and yes, I don't want yes. to profess. I yeah. would assume that they do. I just never associated it with Russia. Yeah, I mean, from my worldview, it just seems old, so old-fashioned that I wouldn't expect them to still be around. But, you know, if people know better, do let us know. Well, arranged marriage is 
definitely still exists. So I would, I don't well, know. Yeah, I would it must happen so. somewhere, I guess. Yeah, but yeah. Sure. Whenever these episodes kick off, especially when it's a villain who's been on several times, it's very suspicious how they are um, committing crimes again. But it's it's never um, any kind of breakout or there's no violence ever involved. And in this case, Egghead got out on a legal technicality. <laughs> and Olga was not wanted by her own country. And so she's back doing crimes. You mean again? They're back? That's incredible. I just found it strange. There was a moment in the episode that I genuinely really, really enjoyed, which was Batgirl when she was facing off against the Cossacks and they're attacking her with the swords and she's dancing around them. Uh-huh. And so Yvonne Craig, of whom is a dancer, that was obviously That's tapping right. into that to a certain degree. Dancing to her grave. I kind of thought that was sort of interesting, and we haven't really seen that level of actual physical activity in a fight scene before. Like, usually there's like the kapows and the biffs and the bams, not so much anymore, but that does take place. But you don't really see them actively really doing stuff. But that was a really energetic performance. Did you uh, like how realistic it was? Oh, look, I mean, I've never seen swords looking more realistic. But I was watching that scene and like the entire sequence with Batgirl breaking into that lair and, you know, getting involved in it. And it struck me that at this point in the series, I'd actually be quite comfortable if this was just the Batgirl TV show and you built up a world around her. Like I would be there for that program. Absolutely. And not just because of all the sexism that she gets from Batman. Uh, Well, if you could phase them out of the show, then you would probably have less of that sexism. Theoretically. Mm. I object to Batgirl's no-punching philosophy, but uh, I certainly did enjoy her jig. Yeah, it was a great jig. What did you think of um, Dick's uh, green velvet sweater? (laughs) Oh, look, I jumped straight onto ASOS and put it in order. Also, I have to say that... Now, I know this was a weird episode and they had probably had to film some things that um, would be out of order, but- A couple um, of bridging scenes. <clears throat> yeah. When um, when Adam West does his To the Bat Poles line, which he does every uh, almost every episode. Is this what he did, this big open shirt going on? It wasn't that open, but he is wearing a cravat. Yeah. It, he delivers it with the minimal amount of- of enthusiasm. Oh, absolutely. And it just sounds like he is tortured and wants out of this show right away. And yet you compare that to the scene as they're deciding, because the cold opener has Commissioner Gordon and O'Hara in the office and they're making the decision as to whether or not to call Batman. And that is so overridden and so yeah, overperformed. so long. Yeah, absolutely. Because normally they just say, oh yeah, we're calling Batman. We're, we're not doing yeah. this ourselves. And then you got the opening credits and it flips to the other side of that conversation. And it just seems so underperformed and underridden. It was phenomenal. It was pretty incredible. Yeah. I was going to try to do my impression of the of his to the bat poles. It's kind of a um, to to the bat poles. Is that the best line reading you want to give up? Yeah, that's what I'm. That, I'm going to. I'm running with that. <laughs> In what ways do you think this episode points to um, Trump's collusion with Russia? I'm not too sure. I'm sure that all the dehydrated royal caviar probably has something to do with it. Absolutely. Yeah. Now, I was thinking about caviar in that it's often the go-to in a lot of TV shows as the rich man's food. Yes. Have you ever had caviar? I have. How was it? It's a little fishy. Yeah? I didn't care for it. 
I'm not a big fan of fish generally. I don't really like seafood. I'm, you don't like seafood? I'm just not into it. That's un-Australian, mate. No, quite possibly. I've never thrown shrimps on the barbie or anything like that. But as a result, I've never had caviar, despite the incredibly affluent lifestyle that I lead. What? <laughs> what does your what do you what does your family eat at uh, Christmas? Look, I mean, my parents, being a bit of a mixture of uh, traditional sort of European and British stock, uh, like it just seems to be a very sort of probably takes a bit more from my father's side of the family, which is you know turkey and wild boar, a lot of wild boar, so much wild boar, Nick. Uh, roast potatoes, you know, okay. vegetables. Like it's a very traditional British. Like, but seafood meal that we'll is typical in this country, isn't it? It usually is, but my parents aren't big seafood eaters, and that's probably where I get it from as well. Okay. Have you ever had um, lobster bisque? I don't think so. It's, it's delicious. Maybe I'll, I'll see what's happening in the SBS cafe next week. Did you, when you were in New York, try to go to the um, the, soup, the real soup Nazi guy? You know, I was thinking about it. Al Yagana? Al, Al something, I don't remember. Yana, yeah, it's, uh, I did think about it, but the price of the soup kind of made me think that I'd give it a bit of a miss. Oh, it's worth it. Yeah. It's great. It's the best soup. Um, no, I mean, I'm sure there's some restaurants that have better soup, but it's amazing soup. Does he still have his recipe for Malakatani? I don't know. I don't, I don't know. I would love some of that soup right now, I'll tell you that much. Very good. Very good. You know something? No soup for you! Come back. One year. Next! So it feels like the right time to talk about the rampant sexism in uh, this first episode. It does feel like that is the time for this segment, which we discuss each and every week on Batman. Um, so Batman says, perhaps the crime fighting is best left to the men. This isn't exactly women's work. What is women's work, Batman? Yeah, what is he talking about? But then, of course, Batgirl sticks up for herself and says, I'm no ordinary woman, mm. which is nice. But also, it's kind of her being dismissive of all other women. Yeah, that's true. Mm. All this time, Batgirl has outsmarted Batman because Batman can't figure out who she is or how she shows up or what she's doing. I'm pretty and sure she, the Batgirl theme song very much says this exact thing. Yeah, who, <laughs> exactly. And so now when he makes a little barb like that, I think... He's a little jealous or something. What's going on? Yeah, there's definitely something going on. Maybe he's just jealous of the obvious relationship that Batgirl has with Commissioner Gordon. How do you think Adam West felt about uh, the appearance of Batgirl? Look, I don't know. And I'm sure he probably discussed that in the autobiography that he's written. West is best. West is best. Apparently he's got an autobiography. Now, I'd be interested to know about that. So as we've discussed on the show, we do know that he went to... Bat for Madge Blake, who played Aunt Harriet in the show with the producers, because they were looking at phasing her out much earlier in. And so he went in there saying, you know, she's an important person because apparently he really enjoyed her company and like the power dynamic there is very radically set. different. Yeah. So whereas I mean he's, Batgirl is... he's first on call, she's much further down the call sheet. Yeah. Yeah. Whereas Batgirl, essentially, my assumption would be that Adam West probably didn't have a huge problem with her, but I would have to assume that Burt Ward playing Robin. Like, he would no doubt feel very threatened by the arrival of Von Craig on the show. How much do you know about Batgirl in the comics? Ah, uh, look, a reasonable amount. I've always just taken it as a given that, oh, yeah, sure, there's Batman and a bunch of people around him just add Bat to the first of, to the beginning of their superhero names. But it's a little weird. Yeah, yeah, so There's already Batman. Why do you have to be Batgirl? Come up with your own name. Well, I mean, Batgirl isn't the first sort of Bat offsider as well. You had Batwoman quite a few years earlier. Yes. Which is a topical issue this week. That's right. She's got her own show coming up on the CW. Yeah. So, so they had this character called Kathy Kane, who was a, I think she was a socialite. 
back in the day. And so she was brought in as a love interest for the Batman comic book character. And she'd also dress up as Batwoman. Now, they ended up phasing her out after just a couple of appearances. I don't think she was ever used that much. And then in the 60s, just before she got introduced in the show, they brought Batgirl into the comic books. And so she was the daughter of Commissioner Gordon and pretty much the exact character we see here on TV. Okay. So she came in like literally, I think, a year before she actually got introduced into the TV show. So they they could, if Batgirl hadn't happened, she they could have been using Batwoman. Look, it's entirely possible. So the only reason why Batgirl came into the show is apparently William Dozier, the producer of the series, was stopping by the DC Comics office and saw the artwork up on the wall and thought, you know, this is something we can do to okay. rejuvenate our show. And so then they started mentioning her throughout the second season and introduced her into the third. So Batgirl came into it. But recently, and when I say recently, I think it was about 2005, in the comics they brought Batwoman back. So Batwoman, instead of being Kathy Kane, she became Kate Kane, and she was part of the, you know, the upper set of Gotham. She know, in one citizens. of the Birds of Prey? Uh, look, I'm sure she probably got introduced in some of the Birds of Prey comics at some point. Um, but you might be getting <clears throat> confused maybe with like Black Canary, who was uh, a character. That's right. Yeah. Well, in the picture I saw of her... She's and in, a, in Birds of Prey as well, Batgirl, Barbara Gordon is a regular oh, right, that's what I'm thinking of. Yeah. But, but, but why does she have a white face? Okay, so in the 2005 Batwoman, she got introduced with a white face. And I don't remember, like it's a painted sort of yeah, like chalky. Like a Dracula. Of. I thought maybe they're going for a Dracula vibe. Yeah, so I'm not quite sure what they actually sort of have as the in-story reason for it. But if you look at the Batwoman comics, I'm trying to think of the name of the artist now. Like it was Greg Rucker writing the series. I can't remember who was doing the art. But it's this really phenomenal art style where it's all painted artwork and all the pages were like these double Painted page. as opposed to what? Uh, as opposed to drawn. The outlines and everything? Yeah, so like the art was a person actually painting oh. it as opposed to... Yeah, so it's different textures and looks quite different to any other comic. Right. And a lot of the pages are like double-page spreads and there's like interesting sort of borders to each page. It's like this real interesting visual style in the comics that really pop. So if you come across the Batwoman comics, which I strongly recommend people go and check these books out, like they look gorgeous and the stories are all really compelling. It's a really great series that never really got particularly far. But what's interesting about her as a revival character is that instead of her being the love interest for Batman, they decided to make her a lesbian in the comics. Oh. So this Batwoman character is a lesbian. They get her into a relationship with a character named Maggie Sawyer, who was like a police captain in the Superman comics that they brought over to the Gotham series for a little while. Related so, to Tom Sawyer, of course. Related to Tom Sawyer. But what was interesting in the comics, because DC Comics wasn't as progressive as it really could be, they had worked to the idea that they were going to marry these two characters in the comics, but DC put the kibosh on it at the last minute, causing the writer and artist to leave the series at that oh, point. interesting. Left. Greg Rucker mentioned earlier had left well before then. But anyway, so that was a big thing. It's been a bit of a controversy within comic circles since then. But there was the announcement made a week and a bit ago now that the CW network in the US are looking at doing a Batwoman TV series. Right. So they will be casting a lesbian woman in the main role. So the series, it's really just the pilot at this point, but it's expected to go to series. So we'll probably see that sometime next year. Greg Berlanti is one of the executive producers, and I recognize his name, but I couldn't think of from what. So he was a indie filmmaker who ended up getting involved in Warner's films. So he was a writer on the terrible Green Lantern movie, but he ended up writing his name somewhat mm. by getting involved in making the DC superhero TV shows. So he's the EP on the Arrow TV show, which then spun off to The Flash, which he also produces. Uh, There's Legends of Tomorrow, I think. Have you watched that show? 
Uh, it's a little bit deeper into the DC TV that shows. That show is not in. good. Yeah, that none of them have really quite worked for me. The first season or two of the Flash remakes, not so bad. But yeah, it's not so great. Uh, he also produced the Supergirl TV show, which is kind of okay. I've seen a few episodes of that that I liked. I like some moments. You know, I liked uh, What's-Her-Face from Ally McBeal. Nicholas Danes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't really like these shows, so I don't expect Batwoman to be good. But mm. I also don't know anything about Batwoman, so that might be interesting. Yeah, so they're going to introduce her in a few episodes of Arrow and then spin her off her into her own show. But yeah, if anything, check out the comics because they're really just yeah, I'll visually take a dynamic. They're great books. No, the drawing in the posts about it are, are very cool. Or the paintings, I guess. Now, Nick, the final moment within this episode has Barbara Gordon rushing into Commissioner Gordon's office. And she says that she's seen a car driving around with uh, whiskers on it. Yeah. And then after O'Hara and Gordon sort of rack their minds for a few moments trying to work out what could be going on, I think it's O'Hara says that, oh, it's probably Catwoman's car. And then Barbara is like, yeah, Catwoman was driving it. As though, like, maybe you lead with that, Barbara. I don't want to tell you how to do your reporting to your father, but I would have thought that's the integral bit of information. Yeah. And then she mentions that the Joker was also in the car with her. Yeah, burying the lead. Very much so. Yeah. Which takes us to the next episode, which Nick i got to say, I do not remember uh, anything that happened. I barely do myself. But apparently, Warden Crichton and Bruce Wayne released the Joker from prison. We're releasing you considerably ahead of time. <laughs> Catwoman picks him up. You want a lift, big boy? Nobody does anything about anything. Joker and Catwoman try to rob little Louie Groovy, the teen pop music producer. Another couple of years, I'll be in my mid-twenties. Too old for the music business. Over the hill. Of his nightshirt, but Batman and Robin stop them. No wonder I'm insecure. Almost. You must have flipped your raspberry, Joker. The Joker pulls the electric buzzer move on them. They're about to die, but Batgirl shows up with the antidote. What took you so long, Batgirl? The Joker and Catwoman rob Carnaby Cats. The 17-year locust have descended upon me, Governor. Of a lot of gunpowder that they plan to use to rob a federal depository building. It's to be continued next episode as the Vietnam War rages on. Nick, this episode raises many questions for me. Yes. Let's start at the beginning. So we've got Barbara, and actually this is the last episode thing. Barbara rushed in advising Sakrishna Gordon and O'Hara, and I think Batman and Robin were in the room as well. Hey guys, saw Catwoman driving with Joker. Okay. Now, they seem to be talking about the idea that there's been some sort of crime committed, but they're just driving in a car together. Why is that a crime in Gotham City? Because um, Catwoman uh, kidnapped him. They put on that act at the beginning of the episode. But why do they even need to put on the act? I don't understand. Because Joker has just been let out of prison on good behavior for some reason. Uh, maybe there's a condition of his bail which says that he can't consort with other criminals. With known criminals. That's probably it. Uh, I don't so under... I'd like to retract my criticism of this Batman episode. I think that story sounds out quite nicely. So you have no problem with them releasing the Joker, the most murderous of uh, Gotham's uh, criminals? That's not what I'm saying, Nick. I'm saying I don't have a problem with him getting into the car with Catwoman as I, based in a story. I wish they would devote an episode to the revolving door prison system. Well, this episode addresses it for the first time ever with Warden Crichton, with Bruce Wayne, who is the chairman of the parole board. It's a new set, right? We haven't seen, have we seen? No, we, we've been in this, well, we've been in his office before. I think it's a different set every time. It brought me back to Shawshank Redemption. So emotive. From the movie? No, the actual redemption. Oh, so when you were Shawshanked? Yeah. Yeah. 
we find out in the scene that the Joker's being released because he's been on his best behavior for several months. Months? <laughs> several months. He's, he's murdered people. And he's being released, as the Joker says, considerably ahead of time. <laughs> <laughs> It was pretty incredible. And Bruce Wayne is standing there like, I'm not going to have to fight this guy anytime soon. This is all case closed. This is standard procedure. It's nuts. Yeah, I hate to think who else they were leaving out there. Is it possible that in the 60s, when, whenever, I don't know when the Joker would have been created, but in the comic book, was he a murderous madman? Or was he just a goofy uh, laugher? I think it depends which era of the comics. So the Joker was one of the very first villains introduced into the Batman comics. And he was based off a character from The Man Who Laughs, which is, I think it was a silent film. I've never actually seen it. Yeah, this sounds familiar. What I'm asking is they've obviously heavily sanitized it for this children's show, but it's totally denying the reality of, of who these these criminals are. I mean, they do horrible things. Well, look, essentially, this really just lends itself to my theory that I had very early on in this Batman TV series, which is that Batman and Robin aren't actually really stopping any crimes or doing anything. They're just two rich guys of whom are out there possibly fighting other rich people. And this is like some sort of elaborate game that's being played. This is why Commissioner Gordon and Chief O'Hara are clearly no good at their jobs. They're just people, they're probably not even really the proper police commissioner or the chief of police. Rather, they're just people of whom have been employed by, I'm guessing Alfred's probably responsible for the organisation of a lot of this. And so it's just rich people going out there living like a lark of a life as though this is like an important thing that they're doing. I wouldn't be surprised if the last episode was Bruce Wayne waking up from some sort of fever dream. Yeah. Where he imagines he's a crime writer. Uh, my other question was, from all my comics reading, I am used to Joker being in Arkham Asylum. Which I don't know if Arkham was a presence in the comics. I think that might be like a 1970s edition to the Batman mythos. I'm not quite 70s. sure. Okay. Yeah, That's I'm not what sure I was exactly wondering. when Arkham comes in, but I think it's after this. So everything's still in Gotham Penitentiary. But can I just ask this? So there's the moment where the Joker pulls out a cigar, at which point both Crichton and Bruce Wayne are very concerned because they think they're going to start puffing down the cigar and it'll explode on them. Yes. It's an exploding cigar. It's fair enough. If Warden Crichton particularly is so concerned that the Joker's just given him an exploding cigar, why f release him? Yes. These are the kinds of concerns you have before you release somebody. You sort all that stuff out. Also, where did he get the cigar? Look, I mean, that's a good question as well. It was probably in the pocket of the very fancy suit that he was wearing. I did like that the Joker explained how he needed to get used to civilian clothes again. Yes. Also, when um, Joker offers Bruce Wayne the cigar, Wayne says, I never use tobacco in any form. Mm. How many forms of tobacco are there? Well, you can roll tobacco, you can smoke in a cigarette, you can have in a cigar. Pipe? Pipe? Already that's four. Make a hat? I've never really heard of people sort of a vest? puffing back a vest of tobacco. Would he, would he not wear a tobacco vest? That's crazy. You don't make a vest out of tobacco. No. I mean, maybe grill a chest, but not tobacco. Hey, when they get down into the car and Catwoman pulls the gun on him to get into the vehicle, did you notice the cat that was in there? Yeah, that cat. I mean, it looks like the car in Dumb and Dumber. Well, apparently that car had been used in a number of programs before it was featured in the Batman TV show. Was it in That Darn Cat? Uh, it was not in That Darn Cat. I don't believe that it was actually cat-themed prior to its inclusion in the series. Uh, but you can find it in an episode of Bewitched. Okay. Wait, as a cat or no? No, the car. 
Oh, the car without its cat clothes. Without its cat clothes. Okay. So the car was in an episode of Bewitched and also was featured in the Star Trek episode, Bread and Circuses. And the car was referred to then as the Jupiter 8. Okay. But getting back to the cat. Uh-huh. Because I don't think we've actually seen a cat with Catwoman before. Oh, an actual cat. Like an actual cat. I don't remember seeing it. Something seemed a little bit strange about it to me. Maybe. But anyway, that cat, the actual actor playing the cat. Yeah, the cat. Yeah. Right. Uh, in real life, its name was Orangey. Orangey? Orangey the cat. And this was not the only TV role that Orangey had. No, no, no. It had 17 credits. Whoa. Including a Mission Impossible episode. Whoa. Three different Beverly Hillbillies episodes. What? Where it maintained the character of Rusty the cat. Wow. Uh, just interesting, it was also in Breakfast at Tiffany's. and uh, The cat in Breakfast at Tiffany's, the main cat. That's uh, a famous cat. Possibly. I've never seen Breakfast at Tiffany's. Oh, my God. I've seen clips of the classic Mickey Rooney performance. Oh, uh, yeah. It's yeah. a classic performance. It's yeah. wonderful. <laughs> Holds up. It really does hold up. There's Holds not up a better than person. anything else in that movie. Yeah, no one has anything negative to say about no, that performance. No, it never comes up. Mm. Uh, but yeah, that cat, uh, it's still alive today, and it's a real estate agent in California. Oh, really? Has it written an autobiography about how um, its father sang songs to him? Uh, maintains an active blog. I don't know about any book publishing. We should get him on the show. We should. I'll put in some calls. I have another possibly pointless question. Mm, there's no pointless questions. This is Batman land. I know it's a kid's show, theoretically, although there's lots of lines of dialogue and moments that make it feel like it's a creepy... Um, Midnight movie of some kind. I mean, quite literally when Batman says in this episode, we'll bat creep to the window. Yeah. That's <laughs> not for kids. That cat, if you're trying to think up a car for Catwoman, well, wouldn't it be black, first of all? She wears a black outfit. Wouldn't it be a little bit more cool and scary? Why is it a big, goofy, green cat car? Yeah, I just don't get it. Like That's an opportunity to create something kind of cool. Something with sells- some... You can say, yeah, that you can sell, like the Batmobile. Yeah. Huge seller. Although, like, merchandise wasn't really a big thing back in the day. So, like, they certainly sold some of it. But if you think to the Star Wars movie, when George Lucas was trying to get all the, like, financing happening behind that, they weren't going to go ahead with it. And he said, hey, look, you know what? I'm not going to take any money from this movie so you can have my share. I'm just going to take some of the profits in the merchandise. And then, obviously, Star Wars became the massive thing. And from that point in... That's when that's a lot of pretty bold, right? Because what was merchandise before then? Well, like merchandise existed, but it wasn't like a huge money maker. I know that when I was a kid and watching this show, I had a little um, like a Hot Wheels Batmobile. So they were either making it then, or I don't know what was going on. Yeah, I mean they certainly existed. So I mean, like Planet of the Apes, for example, you get like the ape toys. So like they certainly were selling this stuff, but it just wasn't really considered like that much of a big deal. What toys did you play with as a small child? Oh, look, I grew up as a child of the 80s. So, like, that was a perfect time for them to put on cartoons in the morning and for me to buy every toy based off them. Yeah. Uh, Voltron was a big thing for me as a kid. Yeah, we had that. Yeah. We had that. Mm, my favorite character, Pidge. Well, which character is that? Uh, he was like the little green guy with the glasses. Okay. Did you have the Darth Vader um, carrying case? Uh, I did Star not. Wars figures? I don't think I had any Star Wars figures. I know there was a Darth Vader floating around the house, but I think that would have been left there by a cousin or something. Instead, I had, there's the guy that looks after the, what's the name of the creature in Return of the Jedi? Not the Kraken, that's from... Yeah, so, I don't think the Kraken appeared in the Star Wars It starts with a K, I think. Yeah, like that creature, you know what I'm talking yeah. about. He was like the wrangler for that. Oh yeah, who cries when the creature is killed. That guy. I had him as an action figure. 
Oh, one of the most moving uh, moments <laughs> in the uh, Star in any of those Star Wars. Was moments. it ever? Oh, I had all of them. It was such a huge deal. Why don't these those characters show up in Batman? Why don't they? Barbara Gordon, she rocks up at Commissioner Gordon's office and she says to Gordon, I need to take a rain check on our luncheon date because there's some important Batgirl work she has to do. And this got me thinking, Nick Bassine, how much time did you spend at your father's employment? Like, the place where he'd go to work, whether it was an office or... As little time as possible, really. Yeah. She shows up there regularly. Maybe it's right next door. Look, maybe, but I don't know. It just seems a little bit strange that she's there as frequently as she is. But as we've discussed on this show, and I'm not blaming her necessarily, but they have a strange relationship. Mm. He um, has gotten very Trumpy with his hands, let's say. His tiny hands. Yeah. The way he holds her when he kisses her, it's very uncomfortable. Don't care for it. No. You know what I did care for? The amazing hotel across the road from Commissioner Gordon's oh, office. Oh, yeah, that was great. Headquarters, the sleazy hotel. And that was the brand name of the hotel. Yes, that was a curious choice. Yeah. So they refer to it as Catwoman being based at the sleazy hotel, a sleazy hotel across the road from police headquarters. So it's basically a hotel that lives up to the brand name. It just feels like a mistake. You're going to chase away a lot of clientele with that kind of name. Yeah, like, why not go for, like, a Best Western or something? Like, surely that's a better name for your hotel. Yeah. I'm always surprised by the gadgets that uh, Batman and Robin have and how immediately they're able to produce them. Yeah. But I was extra surprised when they seem to have little scooters <laughs> that they could get around on the floor with very easily. That was very strange. Look, this is the thing that I thought was very strange. Uh, first of all, we got Batman at the Sleazy Hotel. He was doing some detective work which for the world's greatest detective, it was nice to see him actually doing it for once. <laughs> yeah, that was nice. That was incredibly nice. Batman, while he was there, picked up a familiar scent. And quite frankly, when I'm staying at this sleazy hotel, a familiar scent is not necessarily what I'm looking for. Batgirl, she turns up to help. And then we're introduced to a moment of maybe the most misogynistic Batman-related quoted so far in a series. Yes. Where he informs Robin that Batgirl has a woman's inborn desire to outsmart men. Yeah. So I think the writer would say that that is some kind of compliment, Hmm. but it's pretty insulting. Also, what would be a casual example in the sixties of a woman trying to outsmart a man out of that, whatever desire that is? What, what does that look like? What's the inborn desire, Nick? But what does that look like? I've no idea. I don't even get it. W women going around trying to outsmart men? Which is that's that, the male perception? Which is that woke, Nick? Or maybe we're just being outsmarted so often by these women folk. So I happened to watch a movie from this era the other day called hmm. The Apartment with Shirley MacLaine and Jack Lemmon. A yeah. Billy Wilder movie. It's great. Shirley MacLaine and Jack Lemmon are both incredible in it. Definitely Billy Wilder, not Gene Wilder. It's the <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, definitely not Gene Wilder, but it's like Shirley MacLaine's character isn't trying to outsmart anybody. She's who she is and confident about it. And I don't know. I just didn't understand. I didn't understand this comment. No, it was very strange. Not quite as strange as the new goons that are introduced into this episode, Giggler and Laffer. And I was particularly oh, taken with Laffer as a goon because he ends up advising the Joker that it's been a boyhood dream of his to work with Joker. How old is Laffer and how old is the Joker? Because Laffer <laughs> seems to be a man sort of well into his mid-50s. <laughs> yeah, that was very strange. Hmm. Maybe the Joker's in his 80s. I mean, maybe. Maybe it all still checks out. It's been a while since we've seen the Joker. Did you notice if the mustache was painted over? Oh, I believe it was. Okay. Always is. 
Now, I'm not sure I mentioned this, but at the bat wedding that I attended a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to the celebrant and he was explaining because the celebrant was dressed as the Joker. Anyway, what I thought was really just incredibly charming was that he wasn't entirely sure whether he could get away with painting his face white because he had a big bushy beard. But then he turned on an episode of Batman on SBS Viceland and saw Cesar Romero with the painted over moustache and is like, you know what? I've got this. Totally cool. Yeah. Absolutely. Just paint it over. Mm. No one will know the difference. He looked very good with it. The goons, it was an odd choice to make them laughing a lot. Well, you'd have to. I mean, their names are Giggler and Laugher. But it doesn't really make much sense. And it reminded me of the 1989 movie where Joker poisons everybody and makes them laugh before they die. Love that Joker. Can we talk about little Louis Groovy for a moment? The teenage tycoon who's never missed a million selling record. So in that character, he's obviously a reference, uh, like an allusion to Phil Spector, the record producer. Yeah, same hair. Yeah. That which he takes off. It's removable, the, the wig and the beard. Did Spector have that as well? I don't know if it was removable. I think it might have been real. Yeah. Uh, my favorite sort of, we'll call it a parody of Phil Spector, was in Beyond the Valley of the Dolls. There's a Phil Spector type there as well. Written by Roger Ebert. Yeah. And I think fans of the Batman TV show would love that movie. Yes. Mm. Don't watch it with your kids, though. No, not a kid's movie. No. Why does uh, little Louis Groovy sleep like that? Why (laughs) does he not get under any covers? Why do his legs hang over the side of the bed? Nobody sleeps like that. Look, I don't know about the legs over the side of the bed, but as someone who, you know, I've grown up in Queensland, like the weather usually has you not necessarily under the covers all that often. You sleep over the covers? Well, like... If it's hot? When I was in a subtropical climate, I did, generally. Might occasionally have a sheet on me. I could not fall asleep unless I have something on somewhere. You get used to it. This is crazy. Mm. What is going on? Would this be fair to say that as a sleeper, you're a never nude? I'm definitely a never nude, but I'm also... I need some sort of covering, Mm. even if it's the lightest of sheets. Holy coal creeps. So, Nick, this episode was supposed to end on a cliffhanger. Uh, It was written with a cliffhanger. There was supposed to be a big death trap in it, harkening back to seasons one and two, where there'd be a cliffhanger with a big death trap. Sure. Strange that. In this episode, it doesn't really have that because there's a policy in place now. Season three episodes don't have those big cliffhangers. So the idea is you can watch an episode and- and But then why make a two-parter? Nick, just go with it. (laughs) Anyway, it was written to have that death trap. So they get rid of the death trap when they end up filming the episode and instead just ends with the Joker and everyone outside of the building waiting for Batman and Robin to come out. Apparently in the next episode, they make some reference to the death trap and Batman and Robin getting out of it. So stay tuned next week as we discuss that. Should be incredible. It'll be massive. Now, Nick, this episode is the second last appearance of Catwoman in the series. She does technically make a very small cameo later on, but it's not like it's an actual, you know, real appearance by Catwoman. Right. Anyway, so obviously this will mark the second last appearance of Eartha Kitt within the show as well. The next episode will be the last appearance. Anyway, I was reading up about Eartha Kitt, and apparently in 1968 she made a couple of anti-war remarks when she was at a White House visit. So she mentioned in front of Lady Bird Johnson, uh, the first lady, 
Yep. And subsequently was uh, blacklisted with a big media campaign against her. And so she ended up stopping making like media appearances and things. I think this is her appearance in Batman is actually her final appearance in an American production for a decade. Yeah, I think I remember seeing that as well. She um, mm. said something about how no wonder um, kids are out there marching, you're sending them off to die or whatever. Yeah. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. So she ended up coming back to the US. Uh, welcome back by Jimmy Carter in 77. Welcome and back, was, Carter. Yeah. That's why they called him that. Uh, I believe that's where the show got its title from. What? I don't know. <laughs> I bought that for a second. That's great. And the cat is now selling real estate in California. That's right. Nick Bassine, we're coming to the end of another Batman land, but we can't leave without some lessons learned. What did you take away from this week's glorious two-parter? Well, I learned a couple of things. I learned that forwarded is forearmed. I have no idea what that means, but it sounds uh, wise. And then the other, the bigger thing that I learned was is that there are pockets of Mongols scattered throughout Asia. Still scattered throughout Asia. Apparently. Yeah. I mean, I was very scared to find this out. Oh, I was pleased. Well, I saw that movie Mongol and it seemed like they weren't treating each other very nicely. Have you ever been to a Mongolian barbecue? I have. It was delicious. Yeah, it's great. That's what I'm looking forward to. Yeah. Nick, I took away a very important lesson this week. I learned it doesn't matter how you dress up a hotel, how you brand it. A sleazy hotel can still look like a comfortable place to put your head down at the end of a long day. Damn right. Nick Bassine, we're at the end of another Batman land. These things go by quicker and quicker. Yeah. Now, obviously, we've got some time-honored traditions where I'm like, hey, Nick, where do we find you on social media? And you give some sort of witty Twitter handle before you correct yourself and give you a real one. So, Nick Bassine, where can people find you? I am at This Is Not Woman's Work dot org underscore biz or you can find me at nick bassine people can find me at the dan barrett if you're enjoying batman land leave the hashtag batman land like so many of you do helps other people find the show leave reviews uh, helps people discover the show and you know listen to it themselves is that how the internet works? Yeah, I think yeah. so. Okay, we'll go with that. As far as I know. Nick Bassine, I'm looking forward to next week. We're going to discuss the second part of this Catwoman story. We're going to farewell Catwoman from the show. We're going to farewell Eartha Kit from the series. Okay. We're also going to introduce a new year, 1968, because we've now seen all the episodes that went to air in 1967. We are on the downhill march. Wait, so the next episodes are in the beginning of... 1968. 68. Oh, wow. It's a new Happy New Year. Well, it's not yet. Oh, right. Yeah. The funny feline felony is out on the 28th of December, 1967. So I guess we're in that sort of post-Christmas, post-turkey uh, coma malaise. I don't... Is it turkey at Christmas? Well, there like might be a ham. We have turkey in my household at Christmas. Well, I have turkey almost every night of the week. So you're living life properly. Anyway, folks, this is the end of another Batman land. We'll be back next year with our New Year's resolutions or next week. Let's just come back next week. We'll do it then. This has been Batman Land. We'll see you next week. Same Batman Land time, same Batman Land station.